listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 170. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Nero trainer, CEO Noah Rowland, to talk about the power of virtual reality training, his journey as a CEO, and how Nero trainer will impact athletes and performers. Noah shares his background on human performance at the consumer level, as well as on the elite level and the science of Nero performance. If you want to know more about the science behind what it takes to reach the peak performance state, then this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, Noah, how are you? I'm I'm doing great. How are you, Grant? Today, I'm pumped. I'm pumped (laughs) for our conversation because... I don't know what it was. It was probably what five months ago or so. You and I were on a phone call. Uh, could have been longer, maybe, uh, about your incredible company, Neuro Trainer, that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about neuro training and also your company, Neuro Trainer. And I was so moved about just your knowledge about the mind, about training, about mindfulness. Um, that I just, man, it's just a no-brainer to have you on my show. Not only to talk about your journey as a CEO, but also. Talk about NeuroTrainer and, and how it's impacting uh, athletes and performers. No, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. And this is my favorite topic. Not awesome. me, the, neuro, the NeuroTrainer part. I'll talk about <laughs> my journey just to get that out of the way. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into my favorite topic, uh, mental toughness, before right. we get into NeuroTrainer. So when you think about just the meaning of mental toughness, what does that mean to you? <laughs> so, so that's a layered question for me personally. Uh, because it relates to why I've ended up at NeuroTrainer. Uh, most of my background has been in, in the bigger category of human performance. And that's been at the very consumer level as well as the, the elite level. And so this whole idea of mental toughness has been part of my journey for years. And so when I, when I think of mental toughness, I think of it through a couple of different filters. I think of mental toughness as just the ability to be resilient from moment to moment. And, and I think it's more important, and I'll speak personally in my life today than it, than it was at the beginning of my career, any time in my career, because life just keeps on getting more complicated. And as life becomes more complicated, and this will relate to what we talk about today, and we receive more stimulation and more distraction, distraction wears us down, distraction fatigues us. And so we have to have the ability to have mental resiliency and mental toughness. So to me, mental toughness is the ability to recover. It's, it's this idea that we are always going to be under stress. 
there are always going to be situations and experiences outside of our control that could be on the court. It could be in life. It could be in a board meeting and our ability to receive them, recognize them for what they are, and then let them go and deal with them and then reset and get back to a point of strength and get back to a point of focus. To me, that's, that's the measure of mental toughness. You know, and I know we're, we're going to get into the ins and outs of neurotrainer. And I know that, uh, there's the impact I mean, the attributes that you get from neurotrainer, neurotrainer can help you with creating more mental toughness, but mm-hmm. outside of the of neurotrainer, how would you, cause you, you have this, you know, long history of, of mindfulness, uh, practicing mindfulness. How does someone train themselves to be more mentally tough? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I don't think there's a right answer. I think there's several different answers. I think, I think there's, and, and I think of it from, from two different angles. One is creating a situation in an environment where you can get in the reps to be able to be under stress and recover, to be under mental stress and recover, but in an environment that's safe and an environment that's not going to wear you down. And so for, for a mindfulness practitioner that's sitting on a Zafu. So you sit and all I have to do is sit and breathe. How hard can that be? Right. And then here comes your brain and here comes your prefrontal cortex Right. And you realize very quickly, I'm an insane person when you actually stop and start listening to these messages, these voices that are inside your head. And so there's this there's this passive way of, of approaching it, which is I'm sitting, I'm breathing, I'm recognizing my thoughts. And then eventually, of course, I want to recognize, OK, I'm not my thoughts. If I'm observing my thoughts, I'm not my thoughts. Therefore, there's something still there's something stronger that's underneath. And if I connect to that, I become mentally tough. Mm-hmm. I think the question is, how does that transfer? And, and this has always been, this is, and, and I'm happy to go down this rabbit hole. I don't know yeah. if it's appropriate, but that's always the question in a mindfulness practice and a meditation practice is, can you maintain that level of resiliency when you get up off the Zafu? Can you maintain that level of resiliency with the people who are, I always say that the test of your mindfulness practice, the test of your mental toughness outside of, of sport is, can you be that way with the people who know you best and are closest to you? Or as, as someone once said, after I finished teaching a meditation class and I was talking about parents and how we change our relationship to our parents, they walked up to me and they said, do you know how your parents can push your buttons? And I said, no, how? They said, they install your buttons. And I thought, oh, that's actually brilliant. And now I'm a parent and I'm realizing I'm, in, I'm trying not to install these buttons because I, I, I don't want to put my son in that situation. So, so one question is, how do you become mentally tough? It's through passive practice. But I think we need to find active practice. Yeah. An active practice means finding situations where we can, can we, we can create those reps. And so I'll use the neuro trainer reference if I, if it's appropriate. Sure. Um, we, we are always, always amending our environment, always adding new elements to neuro trainer. And based on feedback from coaches, when we started interviewing coaches and asking, what do your athletes need? You know, we want to build something that's a value. And so we look at the brain and we look at the science and we can talk about what we know we can impact. That's very, very cognitive, very objective. But mental toughness isn't objective. Mental toughness is very subjective. And this concept of mental toughness and grit, how do you get there? And one of the ways you get there is you make a lot of mistakes and you learn how to make mistakes and not have the mistakes take you off your game. So inside NeuroTrainer, we thought, oh, we can do this really well. We have this dynamic VR environment and we can create situations where we force errors. So now you have to make mistakes. I don't care how good you are. 
we control everything inside the headset. You're going to make mistakes. Right. And so we start leveling up the challenge. And the goal is to get into a, an environment where you're constantly making mistakes and you learn how to let go of the mistakes. So you can get to the next task and still have enough joy doing it. So at the end, it didn't feel like frustration. It felt like something that was worth doing. And so I love the fact that that technology now allows us to create environments where we can train mental toughness, but it's, I'm not embarrassed because I'm out on the field in front of all the other players. It's, it's not the game. It's very hard to practice in the game. That's why we have practice. So, so I think it's, it's both of these it's, we have to do it in a disassociated way. And then we have to figure out a way to do it. That's closer to the real thing. So that no, it transfers into life. Yeah. You know, it's what I love you said earlier about reps if if you want to get better at anything you've got to rep it out yeah you got to rep it out even even having a a a better breathing practice which again it's that's simple like breathing well stopping all the distractions and everything around your life just to drop in your breath seems can be a lot for somebody but every time that you do that and i i call this room breathing so like when you go from one room to the next okay that's drop into your breath. And mm-hmm. then the more you're doing that, you're actually, that's a rep and you're mm-hmm. repping it out with being aware and conscious in the moment, like you're dropping your breath. Yeah. So, and it's cool. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about a neuro trainer, but what I love about neuro trainer, as you were talking, um, the way that you test and train um, athletes or performers is that you teach them how to fail. Mm. And I think that's what I'm, when I'm working with a lot of athletes, young athletes, mm-hmm. that's, if I can teach them to fail better than their opponent, mm-hmm. fail. F- and again, I know we don't want to rush the process, but fail fast and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, get that next play speed going. Mm-hmm. But it's just learning how to fail. That's that's huge because that that emotional charge gets up and that barrier gets up, and then all sorts of things happen when they don't know how to deal with failure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's become kind of a secret sauce for us because we don't label that a cognitive skill. We actually think of it as an athletic skill. So it's an athletic skill that you're developing while you're doing these cognitive tasks. Mm. So, so it's subtle and, and it's deep because we're, we're improving your decision-making speed, your reaction time, your sports vision. That's what we talk about in terms of what we're really impacting in the brain, but the conditions that we create allow us to start to experiment with, and this is where it gets really interesting, can we, can we create an environment where now you can regulate your error difficulty? So, so for instance, we, we did a release this summer where we started leaning forward on this idea of priming. How do I prime my brain, warm up my brain the same way I warm up my body before sport? And, and I'd love to talk more about it. It's a fascinating concept. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, sure. So, so our, our team figured out a way to basically put in a, a complexity adjuster. So I can go into prime and in doing this, this thing we call fired up, it's pretty invigorating. We're trying to get you to produce more adrenaline, more acetylcholine, really wake you up, in, improve your ability to walk right on onto the court, be ready to go. But every player is different. And every player is different every day. And that's where it gets really interesting when we talk about practice. So now we've created an environment where you can go in and the system is going to recommend a level of difficulty based on how you've done previously. But at any time you can pause and you can turn and you can either go up or you can go down. And what you'll notice right away is if you go up, your error rate goes up. But you know what happens neurologically when your error rate goes up? You produce more adrenaline. 
Right. No, nobody starts making a bunch of errors and their sympathetic nervous system kicks in. Right. <laughs> that never happens. Yeah. So for a lot of people, that's actually really useful. I want to get those errors to your point, get them out of the way, get my reps in before I'm in the game, because that's part of what I need in order to get into that peak performance state. So it's fun to be able to now dial that up and, and try to get people to recognize, okay, where, I, where am I right now and what do I need? Okay. So here's where I'm going to start. But halfway through, I think about it in terms of coffee. So I have my cup of coffee and I'm going along some days. I need my second cup of coffee. So we want to be able to deliver that neurologically without the negative effects of the caffeine. So you can be halfway through the task and you can say, okay, I want to ramp it up a bit. And you can notice the difference. You can, when you're watching people, you can notice the respiratory difference. You can notice the body change difference because we've increased the difficulty, which increases the number of errors which allows them to get more mentally tough. So I, I think it's a really fascinating reinforcing loop. hundred percent. And since we're on it, because I, because I want to share a little bit of my experience of when I got in the headset and yes. we'll talk about what the headset's all about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, share a little bit with my listeners, like what the neuro trainer is all about, you know, more in detail and, sure. and why this technology came about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So our journey is really uh, largely reflective of our founder, Jeff Nyquist, who's still our chief, our chief science officer. And he got his PhD at Vanderbilt University about 16 years ago. So 16 years ago, it's, it's really interesting. If you follow cognitive science, and I always do as a, I say consumer scientist, uh, I, I'm not a real scientist, and I don't play one on TV, but I read the literature and I, I've always been fascinated by it as somebody in this world of human performance. 20 years ago, this whole idea of neuroplasticity, that we are constantly mapping new neural pathways and we have the ability to, our brain is always adapting so that it can learn new things. That whole concept was believed to really become nascent when you became an adult. You know, we knew that, that children were super learners and then about halfway as you start to get into adult, from adolescence to about college, it, you're still very, you're still very pliable, very, there's a, there's a lot of changes you can make, but the belief was like from 25 on, eh, sorry, like you got what you got. Right. And so Jeff is, is at the forefront of this science that starts to say, oh, that's not true. And there are very effective ways of training the brain, mostly through the invigoration of the visual system and the auditory system to be able to take advantage of this concept of neuroplasticity. So originally the, the, the ancestor product was in a lab, neuroscience was in a lab, giant screen. You'd have to rest your head on a chin rest to calibrate the distance between the screen and your eyes. You had very specific mechanisms for control and then using the visual system. So it's kind of like sitting in front of an IMAX screen. We invigorate parts of your brain and then give you tasks. So worked really well in the lab. Um, and then it also showed to be very sticky in the sense that some of the early research was around enhancing vision. They did it with a group of adolescents. They were able to improve their functional vision, brought them back a year later, and it stuck. So that was the real moment where it's, okay, we can create these neural, neural pathways. If you keep using them, they stay fresh. And so you don't lose these skills. About three, four years ago, we made the bold move to push into virtual reality. And that's where these conversations always get really interesting because right. if, if somebody's never been in VR 
and now you know you have an experience of this. Everything I say now just kind of becomes a little bit of Charlie Brown's wah wah wah. Right. Right. <laughs> it's really hard to understand. But but the beauty of VR and why we think it's so powerful is we've been able to port out of the lab and now into a device that I mean it's a portable device. You pick it up, you take it with you wherever you go. It's super easy to use. But now we can create these deeply immersive and incredibly dynamic environments that take all of that science and apply it in, in basically the real world. So we create these training, we call them skills. We create these training skills with very specific goals. So you've, we'll talk about your experience and I'm, I'm excited to hear it. So right. one of our skills is based on multi-object tracking in, in cognitive science, multi-object tracking. And in multi-object tracking tools or skills, we present a bunch of orbs, and then it seems very simple. We're going to say, hey, you got to track a couple of these, and now we're going to move them around, and that's your task. And when people first start, they're like, oh, this is pretty simple. And what you'll see is that people try to think their way through the task. So they'll, they'll, they're, because we're so focused on thinking our way through things, we try to think and plan our way through it. And the brain starts to look for patterns. Oh, I can figure this out. But in VR, we can control everything. We control the physics. So we move the balls in a way that you can't find a pattern. And we change all the variables and we make it slowly harder and harder. Now you got to track more balls and the balls move faster and the balls do different things. And we add distraction. And the net result is your thinking brain just has to get out of the way. So the cerebral cortex quiets. And meanwhile, your visual cortex is lighting up. Your motor cortex is lighting up. Your parietal lobe is lighting up. And lo and behold, these are all the parts of the brain that you need in order to score as soon as you get out on the court or the field. So in essence, that's that's kind of, I mean, that's the simple way of thinking about our approach to, to training the brain is we use these deeply immersive environments that are constantly adapting based on how you perform today to be able to stimulate parts of the brain, quiet other parts of the brain. And then while we're there, we train skills like decision-making speed, visual speed of processing, um, impulse control is something that we treasure, we measure and train, as well as your ability to task switch, your ability to shift your attention from one thing to another in real time. Big time. Yeah, it's 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 so fun and so interesting and so impactful. It is. And and, and we're talking like eight minutes. There's yeah. There's just because we're not asking, you know, athletes to train for hours and, and hours. It's like literally you're doing it for eight to 10 minutes a day. Correct. And when you're in the headset, it seemed a lot longer because you're so engaged. Yeah. And and for me, because um, I'm going to I want to from your perspective, I kind of want to get your sense of like, what are some of the challenges that that athletes are going through mm -hmm. uh, when it comes from from a mental standpoint? But like when I was in the headset, as I was getting more involved in, in more in doing just different exercises, the competitive spirit started to rise and that mm -hmm. could be a good thing, but it could be a distraction. Mm -hmm. And then, and as I'm trying to get a better score, because now I'm, now I got my feel down with my mm -hmm. paddle. Now I know how I can feel Then I'm, then I start losing my breath mm -hmm. because I'm so focused on competing and winning. Mm -hmm. So then I had to like, I had, I had to control my emotions. I had to mm -hmm. refocus um, then it got to a point where I don't know if you've, maybe there's another term, another way of looking at it, but for me, it taught me how to be open, like, because there are some things in the peripheral you can't see until you kind of turn or feel, but if I'm all tight and tense and I'm really wanting to compete, it's really hard to me. Like when I'm shut down and tight, it's hard to perform. Sure. So 
in in a very chaotic, stressful situation, I'm teaching myself how to stay loose and be open, and then learn, and then not get so pissed off that I just screwed up. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually learning how to fail. Right. 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 So. Yeah, there's there's a lot there to unpack. Um, and and I, I, I typically don't talk a lot about the mindfulness, but you started it. So I'm going to bring it in. All right. In the world of mindfulness, there's a phrase that where your where your attention goes, energy goes. Right. Yeah. And this this is very, very similar when you're in the headset, because where your visual attention goes, your energy goes. So to your point. When we present a task or we present a skill and now we push the environment to the edges of your peripheral vision, that you, the only way you can successfully execute that skill, to your point, is kind of to settle down and relax. So you have to fall into panoramic vision. And just getting into this panoramic vision, this, this wide field of view vision, actually changes the brain. So, so there's some, some interesting research about how walking when we walk, especially in nature, our eyes naturally scan and they open up and we start scanning a bigger, a bigger, a bigger field of view. And that has a calming and quieting effect on the nervous system. And I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about is when we start to push this, the, to, and literally the balls, so I'm trying to do this on camera, the balls go to the edge of the screen. And when we first start expanding the peripheral view, I, if you, you get a chance to watch other people do this, everybody does this, they lean back because they think, oh, I need more room. But of course, the screen is on your face. So it just follows you as you go. That strategy doesn't work. So you learn, oh, I got to relax and I have to trust the parts of my brain that can process all of this information. And when you do that, yeah, there's there's an interesting sense of opening up, I think was the term you used that happens. Yeah. Which, I mean, let's talk about it from a sports perspective. That's the that, That's the skill of finding the space, right? How do, how do you do it? How do you find those holes when they ask Gretzky, you know, how, how do you get to the puck before everybody else does? I don't chase the puck. I go where the puck's going to go because he's able to open up his peripheral vision, make decisions and process information at a very high level. And that translates into being able to see these, these openings. Yeah. And it's, and I've, you know, working with people from your company, um, you know, and other people that have used the technology, they talk about when they're done training or when they've been actually consistently training, mm -hmm. they see things a little more clear or a little bit faster. So when they're driving, they can start seeing things from the peripheral or when they're just going through an aisle in a grocery store, they can see more of the product a little mm -hmm. more clear. And it's mm -hmm. funny because when you think about, I know it's a Zen master uh, kind of a question, but when you look at a tree, what do you see? You know, do, do you see the tree? Do you see the leaves or do you see right. the space between the leaves right. and the branches? Right? right. And I think that's kind of where the technology helps you in that area is that you train, you train enough that you start to see things a little bit more clear. And that's a, there's a huge edge and to see it and then react to it and make a better decision in the moment. Yes. It's huge. That's really well articulated. Now that's not that that's half of, of, of the skills. That's right. really the multi-object tracking. When we talk about the other primary skill, and then we iterate off these primary skills, this other primary skill that we call paddle, this perception, action, decision loop environment, which is the one where you feel more competitive because now you're getting scores and you can right. see what your objective is. In that environment, we're actually pushing your vision for the most part more frontal. We're pushing it more into more of a portrait mode. And that has a different effect on the brain. 
And so depending on your sport and depending on your position in sport, you may develop a relationship to these skills where you say, oh, okay, I've realized this one's actually much more helpful for me because of what I need to get done. So an example for, for me, and these would be very general, volleyball players love paddle catchers, baseball catchers, hockey goalies. Now, I think it's good for all of these high visual, high motion sports, but there are specific sports and specific positions that just say, oh, this is great. When attention flow, the multi-object tracking is, is more of a baseball tool, for instance. It's more of a golf tool. Um, it's more of a tool for, and that's, that's when it's sports specific, but then when you were asked, I think you did mention earlier, what are some of the challenges athletes see? If we have young athletes and we work a lot with young athletes right now, common problem is they're not focused. And I, I can spend all day talking about why we think this is true. Right. <laughs> but also they can't, they can't quiet their heads. Their self-talk is out of control. And so it's the ability to change how you see, and it's the ability to be able to quiet your brain, to enable your ability to see that, that really gets you to that other level, that intangible level of sport. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's really interesting because when you think about, so there's this technology you have, right? And then there's a person like me who's a mental performance coach and yeah. all of my, you know, it's talking therapy, there's mindfulness, all the stuff that we do. But a lot of the stuff that I, especially in young athletes, um, I hear, how do I, how, when I lose my confidence, how do I get it back? Or how do mm. I get confidence before I even start? Mm. That's common. Another common theme is, um, how do I deal with fear? Mm -hmm. Right. How do I deal with pressure? Mm -hmm. um, so when you think about these things, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like all the stuff that I work with as a mental performance coach, all the stuff that I deal with and that I provide, you know, provide strategies, this tool can actually not only do the same thing in a different way, but also can be an extra, an, an, an added tool yeah. for, to, to, to address all these things. Yeah, we, we see it. I mean, we're very aware of the fact that we're we're not trying to be the ultimate Swiss Army knife of the brain and right. that we can fix everything and cure everything. And that, that's not us. We know what we do really well. So let's let's take a couple of those piece by piece. Fear. How do I deal with fear? Well, what is fear? Where does it come from? Right. Does, does fear come from having an active visual cortex uh, active, active visual cortex? No. Right. right. Fear comes from your prefrontal cortex. Fear is, is thinking based. So fear means you're thinking things that are now triggering your autonomic nervous system to produce some sort of fight or flight response that gives you that sense of pressure and angst. And then you'll see that bad athletes start to lock up in their breathing, right? right. So you, you probably approach it from two different angles. One is the mental, the mental aspect of what's, what are you afraid of? Where's the fear coming from? How do we, how do we quiet that signal? And then there's the immediate, like, even if you're feeling fear, we can override your fear by changing your breath. So we don't do a lot of breathing focus inside the headset. You'll hear some cues, but when someone like you has an opportunity to take an athlete and put the two together, we always think we're a great complement to mental skills, because if we can introduce a breathing technique, and now put them in a pressure situation inside the headset and they can practice that breathing technique as you said you did now again we're back to those oh i'm getting mental reps but in a really safe place and in a place where i, I do have a fair amount of control because i can pause i can stop and as i said before i can adjust the level of challenge right so i think i think yes i think we're a great complement to mental skills I, I don't think we replace them i think mental skills trainers are really important 
Thank you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, so when you have you, so walk me through this because you're training in this headset. Obviously there's, there's so many cool attributes, so many great things are that are being trained and being affected. Mm-hmm. So you take it off mm-hmm. and then how does like, what's the brain doing when it, I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff going on with the brain while, yeah. while you're in the headset, but how does it sustain yeah. when you're actually in your performing environment? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. And, and we, we point to other research and that's what we often do. If we don't do the research ourselves, we point to other research to be able to, to make our statements. Yeah. So let's talk about priming because we, we started talking about this earlier, this idea of warming up the brain, the way you warm up the body, you mentioned it's eight minutes. So our priming sessions are eight minutes and, and it's, it's a really simple concept. It's you, we now do all of this work to increase mobility, increase respiratory rate to prepare for physical action, but we don't do a lot to warm up our brains even though the brain is the gateway to successfully doing all that physical action. Mm-hmm. So even visualization and breathing techniques are helpful, but we can, we can literally use the eyes to get straight to the brain. So let's say somebody does one of our priming tools, and now we've invigorated the, the, the visual system and the motor cortex. And we know that sort of mechanistically in terms of neurotransmitters, they've got more adrenaline. So they feel a bit more invigorated. They feel kind of fired up. They feel more locked in because they have more acetylcholine. Like we could point to what's really happening chemically in the brain. Now, what do they do? Ideally, they take the headset off and they go practice. Ideally, they take the headset off and they go compete. So we're trying to create a sense of urgency between what you do in the headset and your thing. Now, for me, that's no longer go compete in the sport. So for me, that's take the headset off and now get ready for your interview with Grant. Right. So like literally I primed in the headset before the podcast, because I've been working for two or three hours, my energy is getting lower. And rather than going, having another cup of coffee, I went in and I did our fired up priming and I could notice the changes. And, and, and so now I'm in that right state of invigoration and, and attention. What you don't want to do, and I think this is the challenge we face with young athletes, what we don't want to do is have them take off the headset, grab their phones, get back on Instagram, and sit on the sidelines and start browsing all this mobile stuff, because then you're you're basically wiping out the priming benefit. Does that make sense? It totally does. And and I want to get in because since you are a CEO and you've got a lot of things that you're all these moving parts running a company, um, obviously you you do use this product. So I want to dig in a little bit of that, mm-hmm. how it helps you be a better CEO. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I first did the demo, I was like, wow, I could be in this thing. I mean, I know they say eight to 10, 15 minutes, but I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I, I would like to do this a lot longer. <laughs> so could you, I mean, is there a risk of cognitive overload? Yeah, with it's this tool? called cognitive load. Yeah, yeah. Um, the answer is no. It's funny. I, I always think of of Jeff, our founder, because he loves this question. Because and, and parents will sometimes ask this. This is a totally valid question. You know, VR is new, and 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 so it's it's sometimes a little intimidating or scary. Now, is is it dangerous if my son or daughter is in the is using NeuroTrainer for more than the eight to ten minutes? Well, do you let them play video games? Oh yeah. Well, how long did they play video games? Oh, a couple hours. Very similar concept, right? And that that's coming back to the phone. This is this is part of my mission is to get young athletes to understand they're always training training their brains because they don't realize they are. 
So if I have an opportunity to get in front of a team, one of my standard shticks, if you will, is how many of you train your brains on a daily basis? Nobody raises their hands. I said, really? That's fascinating. I pull up my phone. How many of you use one of these on a daily basis? And they get it. They look at each other and they all start to raise their hands because they know they've fallen into my trap. Okay. You know, the algorithms that drive our interest in mobile is brain training. Yeah. Unfortunately, what it's doing though, and, and it's because it's successful, is it's training a very shallow level of attention. Right? When, you're, when you're scrolling, whatever it is, I'm not trying to pick on any particular company, but when right. you're scrolling, they're brilliant. They're like, oh, Grant, look at this. Oh, Grant, look at this. Oh, you really like this. And every time you see that thing that you really like, you get this little hit of dopamine. You're like, I want to stay in this slightly hazy state and just keep on scrolling. That's why it works. Right. That is not the state you want to be in when you need to perform. The state when you, you need to get in this completely different state. And, and so it's teaching people that they're always training their brains and that they have these tools available. Hey, everybody's going to use their mobile phones, but when is the right time to put it down? And to, to your question, if neuro trainer or breathing or visualization, all these things are very valid. When you're going to pick up one of these tools metaphorically and use it, don't waste it by then reverting back to some other distracted behavior. Right. Create patterns that allow you to continue to boost your performance. Well, it's interesting too, when you, when you do bring up the, you know, technology, phones, tablets, all that you know, I think it could be old research, but I know in the year 2000, our attention span was around 12 seconds before we got distracted. And now it's like six or seven seconds yeah. around that time, you know? So with that being said, I mean, that's just two decades later, that's half of our attention span. This is, and I'll plug NeuroTrainer right now, because this is the technology that we need very, not only for just athletes, performers, mm. performing any kind of duty, responsibility, this is going to allow us to refocus and, and teach ourselves how to re refocus because we're constantly getting distracted mm -hmm. and more we, so. We become experts at distraction. Yeah. We become experts at distraction. And, it, and it's, I have a 12 year old son. Uh, he's going to be 13 next month. I think it's worse uh, literally every year. And I, so a standard question I ask coaches, and a lot of coaches coach for a long time. How long have you been coaching? 20 years. True or false? It's harder to coach kids today than it was 20 years ago. You want to get coaches to start rattling off? That's a great question. Oh, let me tell you how much harder it is. <laughs> right. You know, why? I can't get them to focus. They're always distracted. Well, it's not their fault. It's that, and I, I, was, I was just thinking about this earlier today. 20 years ago, this is probably what happened before practice. Hey, everybody, stop messing around and let's get going, right? What's the phrase now? Hey, everybody, put your phones down. Yes. Put your phones away and let's get going. And that seems like a simple difference, but it's not. It's an enormous difference because 20 years ago, the things that we were doing were, were literally like poking other people and hiding their shoes. You know, the things that young athletes do <laughs> right. didn't interfere with their ability to focus. It was just sort of ambient activity. And, and so we are we're facing a real challenge. We, we say we're facing a, a pandemic of, of focus. And, and it worries us. It worries me. And I think it is, it's, it's not just about sport. It's about your ability to focus whenever you want to focus. Yeah. And so part of what we're leaning into is if we can better, if we can get your brain better focused for hockey, can we get your brain better focused for math? Well, we, yeah. we know we can, we look at it cognitively. It's not that different. Right. And so to bridge that statement about performance as a CEO, 
That's how I look at it. So at any given time, I think about what do I need to do and what tools do I have available? And some of them are in the headset and some of them aren't. You know, NeuroTrainer is one of those tools. I use caffeine. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I have a, I'm very into coffee. I do this whole ritualistic coffee because that's how I like to start my day. I don't like to get up, wake up and put the headset on first thing. It's just, it's not, it's not my flow, but within the first couple hours, then when I'm getting ready for work and I look at my calendar and I look at my day and I say, okay, I have three hours of meetings. What state do I need to be in for those three hours of meetings? I need to be fairly activated for those meetings because I lead most of them or they're a customer meeting and I have to lead that meeting. And, and I want to, I want to be the resident energy in the room, even if it's a zoom room. And then I might look at it and say, okay, now I'm working on a grant proposal for three hours. That's a very different energy. I actually don't want to be that invigorated. I want to do something like the multi-object tracking that gets me into a quieter focus state that allows me to plow through that work. And when we think about the vision of brain training in general, and certainly neurotrainer, it's continuing to improve tools that allow people to make those decisions and then giving them those tools that make them more effective at what they have in front of them. You know, I was thinking about this um, as you were talking, because you can use neurotrainer for, for multiple things. It doesn't have to be just athletics. I know it's designed for breath for athletes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're going to get ready to, to do a speech or uh, get in front of a class or talk to 200 people or 2000 people, uh, it's a great tool to get warmed up for that. Yeah. Um, I've noticed. What's that? I said, or fly a jet. I want to talk about that before we're done. Okay, good. Perfect. <laughs> so probably in the last week or so, I've had a couple athletes that I was working with that I've, I had clearly a great relationship to working with them for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a lot of things that get me fired up about what we work on. Mm -hmm. And so there's times where I get, you know, there's sometimes where I need to just kind of get into my breath and drop it into second gear. But sometimes I get really not intense in a bad way, but I get so fired up about, yes. You know, and then I, and I realize cause sometimes I put on that motivational hat, you know, right. and then, right. so but there's moments where I, when I do my reflection on every session that I run with a client that I, I look back, I'm like, maybe I should have dialed it back. Maybe right. like I kind of made it a little bit more about me in that moment, whatever. Right. But so for me, like if I start to is neuro trainer, even though you are getting competitive and you are getting revved up, but is it a tool to kind of actually to calm you down before you actually perform? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And the whole concept also of what about after? Yeah. It's, it's calming, get this, this idea of, of regulating my state, right? Mm. This idea of, uh, so, so my answer to that question, I'll give you a really specific answer and then I'll go more theoretical. Okay. So if, if I'm you and I'm realizing, okay, I need to tone it down, then I would use the, the multi-object tracking priming tool locked in, but I would go down to the easiest level. And at the easiest level, it should feel like the way I described it is it should feel like you're hitting a bucket of balls. Cool. You know, sometimes I just want to hit a bucket of balls and I'm not even a golfer, but there's just something like really relaxing about, you know, this motor activity where my brain kind of quiets down and in tennis, it's, I just want to hit 104 hands. And in baseball, you get in front of the batting machine. Every sport has it. Every sport has this version of just, just let me get in a rhythm and let me kind of, I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, dulled. 
right? I still need to be alert, but it's calm alert. Yeah. And so it's that state of calm alert that we strive for in meditation. And I'm, I'm a life, lifetime martial artist. That's what we always talk about in martial arts is this state of calm alert, because then it's easier for me to process everything as, as, as I'm moving through these tasks. Mm. So um, that's my, that's my short answer, right? Um, the, the, the long answer, the bigger answer around regulation, I think is you've already identified it's, it's the tools like neurotrainer, but having that foundational breath practice is so important. Knowing that your breath is the fastest way to tap into your nervous system is incredibly powerful. As you know, now put the two together. So now I get in and I start doing this lower, this lower invigoration task with my own breathing pattern where I'm just constantly counting my breath. It's incredibly powerful. Incredibly. You know, and as you're talking, it's so funny. I haven't connected the dots on this, but I, I talk a lot about uh, conquering the emotional hurricane. We Mm. have emotional hurricanes internally, externally, every single day. Sometimes they're small. Some of them are massive, Mm -hmm. depending on the situation. So how do we get in the middle of that chaotic situation and get in the eye of it? What happens in the eye of a hurricane gets calm. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that I think that's, that's, that's the, that's where we want to be in life. Like how do Mm -hmm. we walk into any switch from, from one environment to the next one situation to the next and still have that calm state. This tool can do it. This tool can Mm -hmm. get you trained to be, to conquer any kind of emotional hurricane if it's Mm -hmm. internal or external. So in, in the world, in the world of sport, we call it being in a state of flow, right? In in cognitive science, it's called transient hypofrontality. It's just so fun to say, right? I I know. (laughs) What is, what does that mean? It means for a period of time, you've quieted the front of your brain and the front of your brain is your cerebral cortex. And, And it comes back to what we discussed before all of, all of that vortex is coming from here, right? It's not coming from your visual processing center. It's coming from your thinking brain. And so the beauty of immersive environments dynamic immersive environments is they do get you out of your thinking head. And so by, and then the more physical we make them, and that's, what's so cool about the quest is now we can track your hands, we can track your head. So we get a little bit more motor cortex and it becomes even more powerful. And in the future, we're thinking about feedback. Like we do a little bit of haptic feedback where you, you don't dodge and you get hit by the bomb. And the first time you're like, I'm hurt. No, I'm not hurt. It was just this fake feedback. Right, right. There, there's, there's, so much, there's so much there to unwrap over time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's immensely powerful. And there, are, there have to be more and more tools available to us. I mean, I'm, a, I'm obviously a, a giant fan of cognitive training. I'm a giant fan of neurotrainer, but I'm also a very big fan of helping people develop other tools. Cause what if I can't get to the headset? I still want to be able to have a tool that gets me to the eye of the hurricane. Exactly. So every athlete and every performer needs to have a toolbox and you need to have multiple tools and you need to have some redundancy in there as well. And I, I'm going to make sure you're going to talk about that jet story. Oh yeah. So my but, favorite COVID story. I think, okay, this training is awesome. Like, and I'm speaking from being very authentic and real. The thing is like, when you get into it, if anybody's like stepped into like a really nice car, call it a Porsche Ferrari. And you're like, Whoa, Whoa, that's what this is. Like you step into it and you're like, Whoa, this is great. Um, It's so easy to do. 
but the law of two easies come into play. It's so mm-hmm. easy to do and so easy not to do. The hardest part about this is picking it up and put it on your head. That's the that's 100%. the hardest part. 100%. So what do you what do you how do you encourage athletes? Because you know to lug this around, it's not big, but still it's technology. Mm-hmm. You know when someone's going to go and speak in front of a class or take a test, um, it might be kind of weird, like you know popping in, in the middle of the hallway, you know and start doing your training, right? Nothing weird about that at all, Grant. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You slip into the bathroom stall. What are they doing in there? (laughs) So like, what, how do you like, you know, I know it can be different for, for multiple things and and multiple people or different people. Like how would you encourage someone to prepare and have the same I, I, I think my answer is going to be really similar to what I'm assuming one of your teaching principles and answers is you've got to figure out the ritualistic habitual pattern that gets that out of the way. So I always do it before practice. I always do it before a speech and then, and then it just fits in. So for instance, yeah, if, if, if you're traveling and you're, you're going to be presenting, it's very easy to do it in the hotel room. Yeah, I don't know that I would do it in the hallway. I do it in cafes, mostly just to get people's attention, now, <laughs> right? Which is, which is kind of fun. Um, but it, I think you're right. I think the challenge for us is always the beauty of a phone is we, we now unfortunately have them on us all the time. Even though we we saw a study that's that shows that your cognitive, your overall cognitive ability, your capacity measurably decreases if you just have the phone on your body. Wow. Because part of your consciousness is thinking, I should really check my, my email right now. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, it is the challenge. The challenge is getting that is just figuring out a way, keep the headset charged, keep it nearby. Um, and on an individual basis, I always say, make sure it's paired to the hotspot on your phone. So you never have a Wi-Fi problem. Like there's some technical things you just get out of the way. Cool. And then, and then from there, it's just try to create habits. It's like everything else. Try to create habits. Um, and then once it becomes ingrained, then it's less likely to fall to the wayside. I think that's the just easiest. Like yeah, we we're talking about just like changing behavior. You have to rep it out. So I think the more you rep it out, the more you put on your head, yeah. it just becomes what you do, right? Yeah, and over time, it will become less, uh, it, it'll become less awkward. You know, we, we are a software company. We're not a, a hardware company. So we're always looking at the hardware and we can't wait for it to get better, faster, smaller. So Google, you know, Google leaned way ahead with the early Google glasses, didn't work, but we'll get there. You know, we will get to a point where it's not going to be, you put this big headset on your head. We're going to get to a point where you're putting something that looks like glasses on your head. And and not only putting something that looks like glasses on your head, but now instead of just being in pure VR, you're in, you're in some sort of XR, you're in augmented virtual reality. And, and, you know, we, we believe that's not that far away, um, VR adoption. Well, just, I don't know if it's over, but an hour ago, uh, was the big Facebook event. Mark Zuckerberg, I'm sure talked about the metaverse because he's always talking about the metaverse and the key to expanding the metaverse is what we just described. It's how do we get people into the metaverse without having to drag something around that's clunky and hard. It becomes something that's very easy. So we'll get there. Yeah. I think so. I mean, innovation is, it's, it's, I mean, things speed of light, you know, <laughs> they yeah. being innovated faster than they were 20 years ago. So no, I I'm, I'm with you on that now, not to forget about this jet story. Or <laughs> so, 
Um, we primarily work in sport, uh, pro sports, college sports. Now we're, we're very focused on youth, high school sports, travel teams. We also do some, some work with the Department of Defense. And, and it's to me, that's always really interesting work because you're talking about people who perform at these incredibly high levels, incredible high levels of stress. So in the middle of COVID, I was in lockdown. I'm in Oregon. Oregon's in lockdown. You're in California. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty severe. And we're masking and we're being very, very careful in our home. And I had been working on this, this opportunity for a while. And then at one point it became clear that I was going to have an opportunity to present to the Top Gun flight school out in Fallon, Nevada. Wow. And I, and I, I looked at it and we were working something out and I was talking to the, to the person who runs. And I said, well, if I came there, would it be possible for me to present to the, to the incoming class? They said, oh, we'd love to have you here. You get to do a 30 minute brief. And so I, I went to my wife and I explained it. She's like, stop. I know you're going. Like, <laughs> so I drove 12 hours to Fallon, Nevada to be able to do this 30 minute brief to this incoming class at Top Gun. And, and I learned a couple things. It was super fun. I learned everything about the movie is wrong. What actually happens at Top Gun has nothing to do with the movie, really. <laughs> but a great group of people, a great group of instructors. Um, I got to stand. I got a photo of me standing in front of an F-18. Um, so it was a fun story. And it was the only business trip I did during the highlight of COVID. Wow. But it's so fascinating to also be able to work with people at, at that level and to try to understand how quickly are they processing information. Yeah. The, the amount of data that's being fed to them now through this combination of heads up displays and interactive helmets as they're going at these incredible speeds is, is really quite staggering. And so we learn from everybody in the spectrum. So we learn from people at that highest level about what they get out of the experience. Are they seeing benefit? Can, can we take someone who is already trained as a pilot and gone through several years of training at the Navy and improve their decision-making speed? Or does it tap out? And the answer is yes, we can. You know, can we improve their go-no-go decision-making speed, which you would think would be incredibly important in air-to-air -air combat? Yes, we can. Well, if we can do it at that level, I'm very confident we can do it at the high school level. 100%. And, and so, yeah, so it's, it's one of my favorite stories. It's, it's getting old, but I, I like to be able to, uh, to, to reference the fact sure. that we do work through that whole spectrum. And I think that's part of, as a company, that's, that's very important to us because we're, we're very committed to evidence. We're very committed to transfer. It's, it's critically important that people feel like the time they spend in the headset is worthwhile. Yeah. And it's, it's not a game. It's not just, oh, it was fun. It is, it is brain training and it has to impact your life. And so that's, that's just something we're always pursuing. Absolutely. You know, and it's maybe cause it's, it's the quarterback in me, but especially, you know, obviously at the college level, but at the professional level, they always say that quarterback is one of the hardest positions of all of sports. And when you're talking about all this data, I mean, seriously, cause I played at the college level and I, and I was, introduced to the West coast offense, which is very difficult. There's mm. way more difficult offenses now, but literally when you're a quarterback and there is a formation, there's a play called, there can be five different plays off that. But if the defense changes as it moves, as you're backing up, mm. you have to read all that data and make a good decision because the wide receivers are changing their route on the run yep. and you've got to know. So this is a tool that can help a quarterback. I think 
this should be quarterback training. Well, for sure. Yeah. Um, so that, that came, I was just like, man, this is, man, you can just, you, this is, this is, this is a life tool. I mean, you can use this yeah. in we're all performing, we're performing something. Yeah. So how do we get good at performing, making decisions? Um, all, you're right. We're all trying to get better at something. And, 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 and there, of course, they're going to be exceptions. If, if I'm trying to get better at model making, is NeuroTrainer going to help me? I don't know if it is. But if you're trying to get better at something that's what we consider to be in the world of human performance, we're, we're sure we can contribute. Um, but I also want to call out that we're part of an equation. And there are other elements of the equation that are, that are absolutely essential. And, and you know this. And if we look, if we back up again and look at the science of neuroplasticity, we believe that we can increase the likelihood of, of a neuroplasticity event. So part of what we're doing in priming, we talk a lot about the, the emotional benefits of priming, the, the neurochemical benefits of getting more invigorated, getting more focused. But there's another element to all of this, especially when we get deep into understanding the benefits of errors. Because you think whenever you're teaching someone something, you have to go through a period of errors, right? Nobody just learns. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the frustration and the mistakes are very important. So we prime that as well. We kind of prime that chemically. So now you get the headset off and now I have an opportunity to learn from my coach how to do my sport better. What I do the rest of the day and then what I do in the evening is going to determine whether or not that was a waste of time. Neuroplasticity sets in in the brain. Think of it like cement. It sets in in the brain during deep sleep. So I can do all this work. And again, I'm talking to youth athletes. I'm, I'm thinking youth athletes here. I do all this work. And then at the end of the day, I stay up late. I drink too much coffee or whatever caffeine I'm using, Monster, Red Bull, whatever it is at the end of the day. And if I was wearing a sleep tracker, like an aura ring, I would see the next day, oh, I got very little or no deep sleep. The likelihood of your skill improving is greatly diminished. So performance is a cycle, right? It's a holistic cycle. It's it's what are you what are you doing now? What are you doing next? But I always want to emphasize that it's so important that we're getting real rest and that we protect our sleep because that's that's an essential element of a brain training, and it's it's something people really need to embrace. Hundred percent. I don't know. It was a couple of years ago. I was listening to Michael Gervais talk on a podcast, and he was talking about recovering stress. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about stressing our body out physically, mentally, you know, with neurotrainer, all the things that we, we just push our bodies, we have to earn the right to recover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that. And yeah. so using the neurotrainer is, is, is a part of that process is to, you know, mentally train your brain, like, you know, push it to the limit so you can recover. Yeah. And, get sleep. and I, I got my ring on too. I got a, um, I got, I think I got my highest deep sleep number last night, which was 43% crazy. I've, I've never, I, I, I never see that. <laughs> I mean, me either. I'm always like in the late, you know, the high twenties, uh, thirties, but man, I was like, that had really poor REM. So, and, and I mean, yeah, that, that's a whole nother podcast, but it's the, the science of recovery. It continues to be the focus, right? We all know you can train hard, but it's, it's your ability to recover well that allows you to train hard the next day. It's your ability to recover well that allows you to learn faster and adopt skills faster than everyone else. And it, it, can't, it can't be ignored. It has to be embraced as, as part of the equation. 100%, 100%. And before we sign off here, because I think this, this is important, I, 
I can only imagine the military, uh, obviously you're working with the Air Force, um, but all branches of the military, this has got to be a tool that they're all just chomping at the bit. The, the, the military, the Department of Defense, um, Department of Homeland Security are complex organizations. Mm -hmm. Let me put it that way. Um, it's, it's very difficult and it, you have to be very patient to be able to introduce a new technology, figure out where it fits, get it embraced over time. Uh, I'll say to their credit, and, and I lead a lot of our, of our DOD efforts, uh, to their credit, they're always spinning up more and more structures that allow the DOD and other entities like it to partner with private companies because they know they can't innovate fast enough. They just can't. So, so that's always been the challenge. The challenge has been innovations running in these startups, but getting it into the, the Navy, getting it into the Coast Guard is, is a challenge because these are giant institutions. So yeah, there, there's an appetite for it. Um, figuring out who the right partner is and how to fit over time is, is a challenge, but uh, we'll get there. And when we get there, obviously that's a pretty significant client to be, to be working with over time. So we're excited about it. Yes. Huge, huge. Well, how do, how do my listeners, how do people, how do they buy Neurotrainer? How do they <laughs> got to buy a head to that? Where do they go to get this great technology? There's, there's the trick. Uh, so today we're, we're really a team product, right? We're not an individual product. So, I mean, you can go to our website, neurotrainer.com and, and learn a fair amount of information. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about us, they, they should reach out to us. We're, we're, we're very responsive. My team's always, always watching incoming messages. And the, the key is if you're an athlete and you're on a team, we want to get your whole team involved. So there's, there's a day in the future where we become more of a consumer direct product, but we, it, it comes back to the question that you asked earlier, which is how do you get people to put the headset on on a regular basis? We know today the answer is you enroll the whole team so that the coach is involved, so that the AD is involved, so it becomes part of the culture of the team. You don't want it to be Grant is the only person using NeuroTrainer because that makes it weird. But if it can be, oh, the entire offensive line, the entire defensive line, the entire volleyball team is using NeuroTrainer, then it allows us to create a, a much better relationship because what, what our team will do is we'll meet with the coach initially twice a month and then at the very least once a month to constantly keep the dialogue flowing around what are you experiencing? How is it of value? And, and let's look at different ways of using NeuroTrainer based on your, your schedule, your academic schedule, et cetera, so that it's as effective as possible. So um, we'd love to talk to people. They can, they can go to the website, they can fill out a contact form, and then we can talk about the possibility of being introduced to their teams. Awesome. And that's NeuroTrainer.com, right? NeuroTrainer.com. All right. No, I, I mean, I, I can talk to you for another hour on this. Uh, <laughs> really, this is, uh, I, to me, this is exciting because uh, I love this stuff. Um, I think it's really important that this technology, people know that this, this technology exists. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, I'm speaking of someone who's used it. Um, I'm referring tons of my clients and I, I encourage my my listeners to really check it out. If, uh, if you're interested, go to neurotrainer.com and, and reach out to Noah and his team. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It was, I'll, I'll, I'll echo that. Uh, recently met with a principal of a private school who used to be, they used to supervise ADs for an entire school system. So he's pretty deep in athletics. And, and when you're doing these Zoom meetings, 
it's it's sometimes hard to know how you're being received, right? right? And it's 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 not personal, and it's it's an interesting environment that we're all getting used to. Right. And I thought it was going pretty well. And then at the end, he said, I just want to say something. I said, by all means, he said, I absolutely believe that five to 10 years from now, every team will be looking at this kind of training the way they look at their SNC department today. It's, it's not going to be a question of, should we do it? It has to be part of our program. And, and if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't be in this business. It is the future of training. And so we're, we're, we're excited to be here. We're excited to learn. We're excited to be able to talk to people like you and then, and then embrace relationships with customers where they help us get better every day. So I appreciate you taking the time and the endorsement as well. Awesome. Well, well, thank you again uh, for sharing your, your passion for this technology and, uh, and spending your time with me. I was honored and uh, thanks again. Appreciate thank it. Take care.